0: Hello and welcome to the Clean Bill of Wealth podcast for Canadian doctors. I am your host, Galen Nuttall. Join me as I interview doctors and related professionals and talk about what it takes to achieve wealth in this, the Great White North. Not just wealth is measured by a bank account, but also family, faith, and health. Be sure to go to galenhelpsdocs.com. That is G-A-L-E-N. That's how my name is spelled. HelpsDocs.com docs.com to get access to my free video series where i uncover the top myths about growing your wealth as a doctor north of the wall now please enjoy the show So here I am with Lisa McMurder at the Hospice Quinney office in Belleville, Ontario. Thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Perfect. And so um, we met a little bit ago uh, at an event, and uh, I realized at that event that I do not know a lot about hospice, period, and less about what Hospice Quinney is up to. So I thought it'd be really cool to talk to you to learn more about what hospice is, Mm -hmm. and uh, also what Hospice quinty in particular is up to, because I figured if I don't know, a lot of other people don't either. Yeah, you're definitely
1: not alone there. (laughs) Um, So I guess long story short, um, basically what Hospice quinty does is we provide um, support and reprieve for caregivers, um, and we provide comfort and companionship to individuals who are um, palliative at their end of life. Uh, We also provide bereavement support um, to individuals in the community that have experienced the loss of a loved one. And we also provide um, bereavement support to the family members of the palliative clients that we serve. So our service doesn't actually end um, with the family member after they pass. We try and maintain a relationship with that family to extend our bereavement services to them um, afterwards as well. Okay,
0: and so who... Like, so who or what, what would happen in someone's life for them to say, oh, I should call hostess? Like, what were the top, like, I don't know, three uh, people that should be calling you or three things okay. that happen in someone's life and they say, oh, I should get in touch with Hospice."
1: So typically, people who are using our services have been, they have to be diagnosed with a, a terminal illness. Okay. Um, and there's a certain scale, uh, I don't recall exactly what it's called, but there's a certain scale that uh, Jan McInnis uses Jan is um, the lovely woman who works with us that goes out and um, does the client assessments. Mm -hmm. So um, if you were diagnosed with a a terminal illness, let's say, for example, lung cancer, Mm -hmm. um, and you know you were, you were in a position in this illness where, you know, you were starting to need um, more hands-on care, more round-the-clock care, mm-hmm. um, that would be a great time to call hospice. Okay. So essentially what Hospice Quinty is going to do is we're sort of going to fill that gap um, between the family caregiver and the professional caregivers, like the professional medical care that you would get um, that's covered through the Ontario Health Care Act
0: got it okay so so someone who so i mean could a family member who like someone gets diagnosed, could one of their family members call or they have yes. to be the one or like how nope. does that work? So that's
1: actually uh, one of the misconceptions that people have about hospice is that mm-hmm. you need a doctor's referral. Oh. Um, so anybody can actually refer for our services. So uh, if, you were, if you are the one who's been diagnosed with the illness, you can self refer. Mm. Um, if you are the primary caregiver, you can make the referral on behalf of the individual you're caring for. Um, but the one sort of caveat of referrals for hospice is The person who would be receiving the hospice care has to agree to it. Um, And there are a lot of times, though, when the family is uh, prepared for hospice, but the person who is actually uh, terminally ill is not. Um, And that's where families can kind of run into a little bit of a a bump in the road. Sure,
0: And I mean, I guess that's, so the biggest misconception I had around hospice was before we met a month ago or whenever it was, someone said to me, asked me, what does hospice do? I would have said, and this is literally what I would Mm -hmm. have said. I would have said, well, I think they've got some beds and I think that. You go there when you know that when you have terminal illness yep. and you don't have a lot of time left. That's what I would have said, mm-hmm. and I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong. I guess <laughs> well,
1: not completely. <laughs> okay. You're close. Um, and then I guess another the misconception that you had about the beds. So that's something um, that's a huge misconception that we're being faced within the community. Um, so right now we're actually in the process of building uh, a hospice care center. We don't have any community-based um, uh, hospice beds in our, in Quinty, so in our region. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the only access we have to palliative care is through the hospitals, and that's very limited. Um, we had an office on uh, Dundas Street over by BioNiche, mm-hmm. um, and that's why a lot of people were. Under, house, yeah. It was a house, and that's why a lot of people were under mm-hmm. the impression that um, we had beds. Mm-hmm. We haven't had beds since the 80s. Okay. So back in the 80s, um, we had one bed, and um, it was fully funded by our organization, by Hospice Quinty, and it was called Hospice House. Um, I believe it was only open for about three years, and then the board had to vote to close Hospice House because um, because our organization was funding it solely. Um, there was no government support for the for the bed, um, so we were basically running uh, the organization and the hospice bed um, simultaneously, and it just wasn't okay. it wasn't feasible. So we closed that bed.
0: Mm-hmm. And so uh, before I talk a little bit more about hospices, hospice does, you personally, like what is it that attracted you to work with hospice or what is it? what have you seen that hospice is able to provide that makes you so passionate about it?
1: So I'm a, I'm a big believer um, that everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say probably back in 2011 or 12, uh, I lost my grandfather mm-hmm. to COPD. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that disease, but it is a terminal illness okay. um, and it's a very ugly, nasty one that um, can can make people very uh weak and Mm. um it affects your lungs so breathing can be a real big challenge moving around can be a challenge so uh, my grandfather um his illness progressed to the point where he was bedridden Mm. um, and he was being cared for um at home by my grandmother um I'm not sure my family was even aware of hospice at that point in time. I wasn't personally. Um, But I, I personally got to experience the loss of my grandfather at home, and I saw... Uh, the difficulties that they experienced with that there were a lot of costs involved with you know getting a hospital bed to fit in in a seniors apartment building mm. like yeah. it, you know that's quite expensive and, and not really realistic when you're a senior um, especially where my grandparents were living and, and the health that they're in um, you know and they spent a lot on just Things that he didn 't even really end up using because he was bedridden, so there was a lot of costs involved and um, you know and, and to see him sort of just lay there on the couch and mm. and have my grandmother care for him right. until his death it was a, it was a lot to take in um, and then uh, this past July, uh, I lost my father uh-huh. to COPD. and um, when he was actually in Belleville Hospital, um, I saw the job posting for Hospice Quinty and um it was one of those calls that you got where it was kind of like we're not quite sure um how he's going to do we, we don't know if he's going to make it so make sure you come out and you know you see him you say your goodbyes kind of thing just in case so I had done just that and then uh, after my visit with my dad um, I, you know I saw the posting on Facebook and I read um, what hospice was doing and I mean I was I was living it I, I lived it to a certain degree um, and it was something I could really stand behind uh, so I just, I applied for the job, and I got the call from Jennifer, and they offered me the position, and that's how I wound up here. So um, for me, it means a lot that I'm able to make the community richer mm-hmm. instead of just a, you know, corporation or a family Um and for me, I know that I'm never going to be you know a famous celebrity or some someone that's going to go down in history mm-hmm. um, but for me when I when I die and when my time comes, there's going to be a hospice built in this community that I was a part of mm-hmm. um, a part of the process in making that happen and I think um, at least for me that's something that I can be very proud of so
0: yeah no that's um definitely a fascinating way that you got involved. And before we hit record, you were talking about how you oftentimes speak to groups of seniors. Yes. And you're like, hey, I'm really passionate about About talking about palliative care. And And they wonder why why. someone so young has any sort of link to it and um, so I mean one thing I was gonna ask was if it's okay to ask this is in the case of your grandfather for example Mm -hmm. where and this happens a lot I mean I've seen it where it's a couple and I mean you know it's really one of the things i 've learned more and more about is the shifting demographics over the last century basically. I read recently that the average person in the early 1900s only lived uh, two years in retirement like they retired and they lived yeah, a few they, more years they and they, they died, died and they died quickly mm-hmm. like more on average they died much more quickly than, than people can now because we have so much life-saving technology mm-hmm. that sometimes extends life but doesn't always continue the quality of life right and so um, I, that's pretty common to see a couple, you know, in their eighties and nineties, and all of a sudden one has to take care of the other, you yeah. in a, in a, know, even more than before or all over. And you know, usually, like I've certainly seen it with my with my wife's grandparents, of one knew how to drive, one didn't know how to drive, one knew how to use all the banking stuff, the other one didn't know how to use all the banking stuff. And so when one of them goes, it's a huge thing because there's this whole half of their life that they don't even know how to take care of. And so in the case, you know, of your grandfather, you painted a pretty vivid picture there, like. And you said you didn't know about hospice.
1: No, me in personally, what, I didn't. Yeah.
0: So, in what ways could have in what ways could hospice have helped in that moment?
1: That's a wonderful question. So, the best way I like to describe that to people is in in that specific situation, hospice would have allowed my grandmother to be my grandfather's wife again, mm-hmm. instead of his caregiver. Um, it would have allowed us all. Um, A little bit more peace of mind that she had that extra support that he was being, um, his comfort was something that was being uh, looked after uh, on a consistent basis. Um, if my grandmother needed to leave to do something, there was someone with him, um, you know, a companion um, and somebody who is trained to know how to work with um, an individual who is at their end of life. Like these individuals are frail. Um, they're not eating a lot. Really, um, really, they're there just for comfort, companionship and and reprieve for the, the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I mean, that's really powerful to say, allow your grandmother to be his wife again, because I imagine because she took on this role of caregiver, and that's got to be...
1: Well, and I I find, too, um, there's been a lot of, you know, research going on with caregivers, and they're finding that um, sort of the average age of the caregiver is... Is lower it's not always a senior so it's like people who are in their 30s Mm. to 40s and and that's unfortunate because some of these individuals have families of their own so you know let's say you were uh, a 35 45 year old man or woman and you know you have a family of your own and one of your parents becomes terminal Um, it takes on average 54 hours a week to care for a dying loved one at home and that's on top of your 40 hours a week at work. That's on top of any time that you need to take care of your kids or you know take them to their activities, hockey, ballet, whatever. That's on top of caring for yourself, on top of groceries, housework. So that's um, yeah. it's a really powerful thing to have the assistance of a, a hospice volunteer. And one of the biggest issues that we have um, are late referrals. <clears throat> so in some cases, our volunteers will be matched up with a, a client and they'll only make one or two visits before the client passes away. And it's because a lot of people really have no idea when's the right time mm. to call. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And we, w- we really encourage individuals that if they feel like this is something that they can benefit from, to call us and Jan or Paul will come out and they'll do an assessment. And if you meet the criteria, then we can get the process started to get you paired up with a volunteer and get the visits happening. Um, you know, another misconception is a lot of people think that hospice is, is sort of saved for an individual's final days of life, yeah. but that's not the case at all. So let's say you were given 12 months of life to live. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be helping you from that point if, if you meet this the, the criteria. I think it's called the PPI criteria. I could be mistaken. But, okay.
0: Um, so that's it. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's definitely, that's another thing I would have said. I would have said, you know, hospice is for people who literally have like a couple weeks to go, you know, that's, that's. That's my yep. conception of, of, of sort and of hospice. And hospice
1: can be provided um, wherever the individual calls home, too. So it doesn't have to just be in a hospital or a hospice care center. A lot of the time, it is in the individual's own home, okay. um, but we provide... Uh, our visits to individuals in long-term care facilities, uh, retirement residences. We work both with uh, uh, Belleville General and Trent Memorial. Um, And in some unique cases, we've had some clients that um, were homeless, and they were Mm -hmm. put up um, in sort of like a motel accommodation by uh, another organization, Mm -hmm. like let's say Salvation Army, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would make visits to that individual in the motel. Got it. So wherever wherever they call home that's where we make the visit.
0: Okay. And then um does hospice cost money
1: no and that's the other fabulous thing about our services so all of our services are provided to the uh, individuals and their family at absolutely no cost and that's okay. everything from the visiting service um, once we have the center open um, the center is really going to elevate our capacity to provide quality hospice palliative care um, the center is going to be uh, a secured 24 7 facility where care is going to be provided um, we like to say by an interdisciplinary team of of healthcare <laughs> professionals so that sort of ranges from um, our volunteers or so our hospice volunteers will still have a role there um, it'll be PSWs um, and then we'll have some nursing staff as well and these folks will be there uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to care for the residents that are in there. Um, and that service will also be provided at no cost.
0: And so in that case, I mean, that's I, was, I almost was going to pause and ask you if I should even ask, because I was like, should I even ask you if it costs anything? No, nope, Because that's, that's the other thing I'm sitting here wondering, like, okay, how does yes, this work? Yes, you're probably
1: thinking, Jesus, so, is going to cost someone a million dollars. No, you have to have like, um, insurance
0: or something like that.
1: No, yeah. and the other sort of interesting information on that um, is currently we're only funded 25% through the um, Ministry of Health. Mm. through the, the LIN, okay. um, and 75% we have to make up from donations and fundraising. Oh, wow. Um, but when we get into the new center, um, the Ministry of Health has been doing some um, big investing in, in hospice. Okay. So um, when we, when our application was approved to build ours, they, um, they decided that they were going to give us uh, $105,000 uh, per year per bed, In terms of operating costs so that's really what's going to allow us to successfully operate this hospice because we are getting some government funding Um, and the beauty in that also is um, we're required to build our hospice to their new government standard so our hospice is going to be sort of like world-class first of its kind in in our region Um, it's essentially going to be a miniature hospital um, but when you're inside of it it's going to look and feel as much like a home as possible Mm. so it's going to be really amazing Amazing.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and with that funding, so they're going to give us annual funding per bed, and they've also given us um, $1.2 million in capital to build the center. So okay. we're getting a lot of support from the government to, to operate this. Yeah. Um, but once we get into the new center, our fundraising plans will have to um, adjust to make up the difference in, sure. in that gap because, you know, we're very small right now, mm-hmm. and we're going to a pretty large yeah, uh, operation. Right.
0: Well, I can only imagine that the need continues to grow just because of Again, the aging demographic. I mean, yeah, I, and
1: ironically, in Quinte, um, we have a higher than provincial average of seniors oh, yeah. in our region. Yes. So, um, with the aging population, this is just something that's even more right. significant for our region to look at.
0: Well, I think another thing I find fascinating. I mean, I have a client; she passed away, um, but uh, she passed away at about I think ninety-four a couple years ago, and. Um, she was really funny, but every time I met with her, she'd say, you know, I didn't plan on living this long. You know, she's like, she's like, when I, you know, there were outliers, like my great grandparents lived into their nineties, but they were outliers. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a lot of people say, oh, and I remember so-and-so lived to be really old, but it's like, no, the average person did not live that long. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the diseases that we have treatment for now would have been, you know, it would have people would not have survived, you know, heart attack, stroke, and cancer to the extent that they do now. That's right. And um, so it's great. There's been these advances in technology. People are living longer. I mean, it's all pretty good news. But then again, like there is this huge, um, you know, one one course I took called it the silver wave, like this wave of people, like this de- big demographic bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying. You know, so there's the, the the you know 70 plus, but then there's also the kids. And I was, did an interview recently where the the word the term sandwich generation was used, where it's yes. adults who have aging parents and still are kind of taking care of their kids to some capacity, and. At the oftentimes kind of the peak of their career while they're in their 40s and 50s, like really rolling with the career, they got the kids and then they also have the parents, yeah, they're and that the ones can be super exhausting. Affected. Yeah,
1: they're most affected mm-hmm. um, by the whole caregiving role. That's what we're finding is the sandwich generation. Um, they're the ones who are really sort of taking the brunt of it. Yeah. Um, and then they are starting to see <clears throat> some younger individuals coming into it, especially in their 30s. I was reading an article mm-hmm. the other day about that, about mm-hmm. how. You know, there's a lot, a lot more younger people um, that are taking on the caregiving role, and you know, they're wondering, is it actually um, preventing younger people from living their lives? Yeah. So, um, like me myself, I don't have children yet, and if one of, if my mother wound up palliative, you know, she's my world, and I would, I would mm-hmm. take care of her, and in, you know, it would prevent me from, from. Yeah. pursuing my own life and my own dream because I'm taking care of my mother. So mm. I just thought that was a really interesting article because I mean it resonated with me because I was sort of in that situation, right? I fit the I fit the group and I wasn't the primary caregiver for my father, but when he was near his end of life, I was doing a lot of um running around and errands for him, and and it became, like, it was a lot to deal with, and, um, you know, when I would spend time with him because of his COPD, um, it was hard for him to talk, Um. so then that made it sort of extra difficult because it's like, as you were spending time with him, you were sort of grieving his, him being gone because you're witnessing it right so mm. um, and another interesting thing that I did want to mention to you yeah. about hospice mm-hmm. is um, a lot of people don't really think about about planning for end of life no you know we really do think about um, you know our health care and investing in the hospital and there is so much value in doing that because you know it's there when we need it um, but very few people actually think about what's going to happen um, at end of life and uh, only three percent of Canadians actually die suddenly so that, <laughs> so that means 97% of us know we're going to die, and death is um, usually a long, drawn-out process that requires um, a lot of care, comfort, care. Um.
0: Yeah. And so I will want to talk about that a little bit and then make sure that we circle back a little bit to what Hospice Quinty is doing specifically, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, so I heard a statistic that um, over 90% of powers of attorney are enacted because, so, you know, um, I gave a talk recently about the value of having a will. Only 50% of people in Ontario have a will. I don't know what percentage of them also have a power of attorney, which is, you know, if something happens, I'm still alive, mm-hmm. but I can't make decisions for myself. Who will make those decisions? Um, I can only assume it's less than 50 because I don't think everyone who gets a will gets oh. a power of attorney. But I heard something like 90-something percent of them are used at some point, which makes sense. if someone's dying slowly and then they're no longer to make decisions for themselves someone else has to come in and make those decisions that's right and um, when I heard that statistic it really did blow my mind and I think the yeah three percent only three percent dying suddenly it's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Like, I, I would have, I don't even know what I thought. Well, that a lot of even,
1: us, in, like, even, even in the advances our culture and our society has had mm. around death, like, we do talk about it a little bit more. It's not as taboo, <laughs> you know, as it used to be. You know, it is a part of life. But our, our image of death is mm. very much of sort of the final instant that it happens. Yeah. And that really only happens, like, for 3% of us. So, yeah,
0: very small number. That's
1: where advanced care planning um, comes in huge. And we're big advocates of advanced care planning. Uh, on our website, if you visit hospicequity.ca, mm-hmm. we have an information and resources section where you can find lots of great information. Um, there's an organization called Speak Up, and um, they're huge advocates of advanced care planning. And essentially, they, they have information on everything from how to start having a conversation about planning someone's end of life it could be something as simple as hey mom you know i was thinking the other day that if anything serious ever happened to you and your health i wouldn't know what you'd want to do i wouldn't know what kind of care you'd want what kind of care you wouldn't want so i'd you know really like to take some time to talk to you about that and i mean it's a difficult conversation to have that no one wants to have But how much better will you feel at the end of the day, knowing that you've honored your loved one's wishes in terms of how they want their end of life or even just their uh, healthcare decisions to be handled? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were ever incapacitated and you weren't able to speak for yourself and you wanted to die in a hospice, but you couldn't vocalize it. Well, unfortunately, I think at that point, there's not a lot that can happen because you have not yet communicated, right? You haven't communicated what it is you want to do. And I mean, depending on what you have set up with your power of attorney and whatnot... It's, uh, it leaves a big question mark for a lot of people, right?
0: Yeah, and it's, that's a really good point. I mean, like, so, I mean that's it's kind of funny, because I forget, like, a part of my job is to ask people to think about what's gonna happen at yeah. the end of their life um, from all sorts of perspectives of who would be impacted financially and what's gonna happen from a tax perspective. Like, I mean, I, you know, I asked people that question, and when I started as an advisor, I really didn't like asking that question, that's you know, because basically, I asked, pe- I asked hard people, questions to ask. if you had passed away yesterday, who would be affected today to what and to what extent, financially and otherwise. And I hated asking the question, but what I realized was not a lot of people were out there asking it. And it's a great question because mm-hmm. not many people think about it. And so, you know, I really uh, encourage people because every time I give a talk about estate planning, um, people come up to me afterwards and they tell me the horror stories of something oh, that yeah. they went through because they didn't have a will or they didn't have things in place. And one of the big things that I encourage people to do is yes, will, yes, power of attorney. But a lot of times people don't have that conversation beforehand of why they want what they want. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, I certainly just would assume, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is what my parents want to have happen. But, and I mean, if they were to pass away and something different, they were to say something different i'd want to know why probably like certain things like you know i don't know like oh uh, i'm giving money to this charity i'd want to know why or like you know and i had someone one time i gave a talk and they said um they uh, and i mean also a big fan a a big fan of pre-planning or at least having a document that tells people what people want for their funeral yeah um i never used to think about that until i became an advisor and i gave a talk and someone said you know My mom passed away, I was grieving, you know, and I had to, it's kind of a whirlwind of getting things figured out around funerals and all sorts of, like, those first five to ten days are just crazy, or, well, one to ten days, and, um, she said, "My mom was a big fan of different types of music, and I didn't know what kind of music she wanted to play at her funeral." And that may seem like a small thing, but when you when that person is no longer around to ask, it's tough, you know, like to say, "What did you want?" And if there's any sort of a surprise in the will, they can't say why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. So. Just like you said, as as difficult as the conversation is to have, you know, the first time you have it, it's going to be difficult. Maybe it's going to be a little bit longer. But once you've had that conversation, you only have to talk about it again if anything changes. Well,
1: and it gets easier to talk about it. And then you have that peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And, like, another thing that I don't think a lot of people really think about either is, like, now that we have made in effect in Canada, so medically assisted death. Mm. So... I mean, again, if that's something that you want to be open to, to have that option at your end of life, that's something that needs to be decided before you become incapacitated. Because if you are incapacitated and you can't speak for yourself and you wish to, you know, um, to go down the path of medical uh, assisted suicide, no one can do that for you unless you you identify that yourself ahead of time. They won't allow it. So, yeah. again, it's something that you have to consider, um, you know, and options are important, I think. And sure. I think, you know, honoring our wishes of, uh, of our loved ones is really important, too. And like you said, when you're grieving, um, the last thing you want to do is to be making these important, difficult decisions. Like it's you want to just you know you want to just process what's happening
0: mm-hmm. yeah and so what I want to do is wrap it up a little bit with what uh, hospice Quenny is doing yeah. So you're working on uh, opening building and opening a new center um, what is like what's going on what are the important things we should know about between now and then of yeah. what hospice is up to? so
1: I guess the most important things um, to know are I guess where it's located so we are building um, a six-bed a community-based hospice care center um, in Bayside, right across from Bayside Secondary. Okay. So the land was donated very generously by uh, the city of Quinney West. Um, they also donated a million dollars in capital, as did the city of Belleville and Tyandinega Township, which is uh, one of the other municipalities we serve, they have uh, donated $75,000. Um, so we've got a lot of support from the communities. Um, it's going to be six beds, as I said. Um, some pretty cool features of our hospice that are unique. Um, Every bedroom will have um, a private patio. So when you are spending time with your loved ones outside, it's not always in the public eye. Mm. So we have built on a private patio area um, in which the hospital beds can be wheeled out onto. So you can spend some time out in the fresh air and get some sunshine together. Um, Every uh, resident room will have an overnight accommodation so you can spend the night with your loved one. Um, We also created three sunrooms. So um, essentially a sunroom is like a big living room. And when we were doing some tours of hospices, um, they had sort of just like a large open concept community living room in most of them and it wasn't being used. So we asked why. And um, between the, uh, you know, the individuals that were using the hospice and the individuals working there, they basically said nobody wants to use it because everybody can see what's happening. So um, we created three private sunrooms that can be closed off. Mm. um, And they're large enough where you can have sort of a family gathering. You could do a birthday party if you wanted to celebrate Christmas, um, you know, an anniversary. Um, And then the other thing that we really wanted to take into consideration is when we hang out with our family, unless you're 12, you're not doing it in your bedroom. (laughs) So um, it gives people another space outside of the individual's room. Right. To do that, um, we also have um, family um, laundry on site. We have a kitchen and dining room for the family to use, um, family washrooms so they can shower and, you know, take care of themselves. Basically everything that you would have in a home, we're going to have um, in the hospice. Yeah, that sounds. Um, like but it'll, it'll be built. It'll be built like a miniature hospital. It's going to be. It's going to be unreal. I think I'm pretty excited for it.
0: Yeah, it sounds really revolutionary. I mean, and even the things you're saying, I haven't thought of. Like, as my, uh, you know, I always think of visiting. You know, my grandmother when she was sick a couple times. It was always that got to go into the hospital, got to sign in, yeah. got to go up the elevator, got to hang out in a room That's it. where there's kind of nothing to do. They're kind just kind of laying in bed. you know. Like, and I mean, I'm, so I had appendicitis a couple uh, last year, and a very minor <laughs> thing compared to obviously anything that someone in hospice has to do with. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, I remember just kind of laying there and people, like, looking at me. Yeah. And, you know, and there was kind of nothing to look at. Like, I was only in the hospital very for a day. Very clinical feeling
1: environment. Yeah, and,
0: it, and it's just an odd situation to be in. And so certainly I can see how if someone is in that situation for a lengthy time, it would be nice to, like, okay, let's get outside so we're not just all staring at yes. me or get to this bigger room where it's not like my bed and like a bedside table. So I think that's really fantastic.
1: And then um, another feature that's really unique is um, we have one of the sunrooms and one of the residence suites that will be equipped with a special, special HVAC system so our Indigenous neighbors can um, perform smudging ceremonies oh, within the hospice. And then, um, you know, that way we're really taking into consideration everyone's traditions and beliefs um, because again that 's something that's super important to hospice is there's no uh, discrimination who your family is is who your family is, um, you know and we really um, we really do respect individuals' decisions and mm-hmm. their cultures and all of those things.
0: That's amazing. Well, it sounds like you've thought of a lot, and certainly <laughs> familiar with what people are going through and what you can do to make it more manageable. And that's amazing. So, uh, so to finish it off, um, you did mention this. social, you mentioned the website. Yep. Uh, but just uh, what are the big links that people can go to, or the big uh, pages that people can go to to know more about hospice?
1: So you can find some really great information and resources, um, podcasts, and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website at hospicequinny.ca we always have some uh, amazing information, um, about hospice palliative care, um, caregiver information and, uh, grief and bereavement support information on our Facebook page or on Twitter.
0: Got it. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Elise. I learned a ton and, uh, it's very important information. So yes. I'm happy to help. Well, it, thank you so much there. for the
1: opportunity, Galen. We appreciate any opportunity we have to, uh, to share this information with the public.
0: For sure. Thank you so much. This is your host, Galen, and thank you for joining me at A Clean Bill of Wealth, the podcast for Canadian doctors. I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to check out my free video series at galenhelpsdocs.com, where I debunk some of the myths around wealth generation for Canadian doctors. Take care and talk to you soon.